again, I want to take up something different today, something dark, edgy and disturbing. Uh-oh, this calls for extra black coffee. Given the announcement of Turkey's plans to conquer space, let's talk about utopia and dystopia. You know, discuss how science fiction of 50 years ago has become today's dystopian bestsellers. Or how yesterday's dystopia has become today's reality. This is the Turkish Coffee Podcast by Nazlan Ertan and Eigen Eye Touch. Two witty women who have been friends for decades as they traveled and worked all over the world. Do you remember we discussed the words of the year in a past episode? Oh yes, the big dictionaries had almost unilaterally picked up the word pandemic or lockdown as words of the 2020. But I don't remember seeing dystopia among them. No, it wasn't among the top words, but I think it could have been. It was all over the headlines last year. Are we living in a COVID-19 dystopia? Is the future of work a dystopia or a utopia? The word is less common in Turkish, but I saw in the newspaper's headlines in Turkey too. But of course, you would expect that this was a year of masks, lockdowns, deaths and economic difficulties. It also depends a bit on which papers you were reading. Given the fragmented nature of the Turkish media today, you may see a lot of utopian elements in the pro-governmental press. (laughs) We certainly saw enough utopic news. The discovery of gas in the Black Sea, the call of the president for a new constitution prepared by all sections of the society the development of the Turkish COVID vaccine. And my favorite was four panelists discussing how Turkey can exploit raw materials in space right after the announcement of Turkey's new space program. I think it was precisely that image that got me thinking of Utopia, the good place, and dystopia, which literally means the awful place. (laughs) Nazlan, perhaps it's worth reminding our listeners that President Erdogan said that Turkey would establish a first contact with the moon in 2023, when the country marks the centennial of the founding of the republic. And the moon landing will be the first step of an ambitious 10-year space program, according to the president's televised speech with sound effects. I thought the statement of space conquest hand-in-hand with other nations was definitely utopian. It sounded like Star Trek, the only utopian science fiction I ever watched, where the world had evolved into a peaceful confederation. But the president's presentation with techno effects looked like a dystopian novel where the mighty leader makes an appearance. I could not quite decide whether it was modeled after The Hunger Games or 1984. Initialization of the natural disaster software. Your experience is now under our control. You know, any discussion that starts with dystopia mentions 1984 by George Orwell, written in the year 1948, after the end of the World War II. Oh, here comes one of Igan's famous footnotes. <laughs> I haven't even said it yet. But the famous novel has a Russian forefather, We, by Yevgeny Zamyatin. Both refer to a repressive totalitarian society, a victim of that repression and an attempted overthrow of the regime. It is 1984, not we, which has become globally famous though. Three years ago, I have done a story on how 1984 became popular in the Middle East again. It had already become a bestseller around the world in 2017. But the play was staged in Tel Aviv and Istanbul's Pera Museum had launched an exposition called Double Think. You know, the Double Think is the key Orwellian concept of holding two contradictory ideas at the same time and forgetting any fact that is inconvenient. <laughs> Looking 
around the world, you see the temptation to reread 1984. Fake news on military gains, cameras everywhere, authoritarian regimes with a strong leader, definitely not being ashamed of holding two contradictory ideas at the same time, or of skipping any fact that is inconvenient. We see these all over the world. And morning exercises through a screen, don't forget that. This is exactly what some of my friends are doing every morning now that gyms are closed down under COVID-19. No wonder you said yesterday's dystopia was today's reality. <laughs> well, we belong to a generation that has grown up with dystopian science fiction. That's why we can spot the parallels immediately. The novels I have read in my teens were mainly about computers in control or a faceless ruling class using advanced technology running the world. <laughs> and people whose future was set out at birth, whether they would be a worker, a scientist, or a member of the ruling elite. They would work, relax with some form of a drug, and have holidays in virtual reality. As we would see in some of the novels, sometimes there's a very thin line between utopia and dystopia. Utopia, which very much involves social engineering, can easily turn into dystopia. Yes, that was pretty much the theme both in Huxley's Brave New World and in Stanislav Lew's The Futurist Congress. The new system, which professes to be a just and happy one, starts with good intentions but becomes suffocating and eventually deprives people of their humanity. No wonder they have become popular again. I've just seen the brave new world made into a series. new themes emerging, right? When we look at the dystopian novels until the 1990s, it's mostly evil computers, authoritarian regimes, individual rights suppressed, and technology either controlling people or leading them to total incapability or laziness. Don't forget nuclear disasters and alien invasions. Yes, alien invasions. How could I forget the only memorable Turkish science fiction film from 1980s, The Man Who Saved the World, where actor Junaid Arkin stopped aliens with a beamer made out of a lamp. <laughs> one minute, one minute. Junaid Arkin also used his martial art techniques in fighting with the aliens, as well as the beamer. <laughs> yes, the film was also popular abroad under the name Turkish Star Wars due to its notorious unauthorized use of music and sound effects from the original Star Wars. Oh, I hope Turkey's new space program wouldn't have a similar fame. But apart from space fantasies, in recent years, there are two other recurrent themes in dystopia. What do you think they would be? Well, I know you're asking me this because you consider me a tree hugger. The first would be dystopia after an environmental disaster, of course. Ever since the 90s, we certainly see more films and novels that refer to viruses and environmental disasters. Yes, from 2009 Avatar to the recent Netflix favorite Snowpiercer. I remember Avatar. It was a 4D movie where the Earth had run out of resources and decided to reach out to the resources of another planet, where the wise blue savages were living happily. Until the Earthlings came. <laughs> In Snowpiercer, attempts to reverse global warming have taken the world to an ice age. Only a handful of people on a train have survived, and even there, there is strife between the first class, the second class, and the tailies, the infamous passengers without tickets. And I remember a recent Netflix series like this, Into the Night. But it's about some survivors, including a Turk, stuck on a hijacked plane, which has to fly around the world all the time, not to die like the rest of the world, who were all perished due to some sort of exposure to the sunlight. So what's the second new theme? That's my favorite. A future where women are deprived of their rights. Ever since Margaret Atwood wrote The Handmaid's Tale in 1985, this has been a recurrent theme as well. 
In this dystopian scenario, women go back to being second-class citizens. In Handmaid's Tale, women wake up one day to see that all their bank accounts are transferred to their husbands and their jobs lost. And those without a man would become housemaids or second wives to breed children from powerful men. Lesbians, of course, would be put in camps because they are deviants. <laughs> oh my. And all this under-conservative government in a near future in the US. No wonder they have done a highly publicized series four years ago when Trump became the president. Yes, I read the novel back when it came out in 1985, and to be honest, I had not thought that it was one of Atwood's best. But when it became popular again, I started searching similar novels with women's rights evokes, and I came across several. One was by Emin Malouf, the French-Lebanese author, and it was his only dystopian novel. There he talked about a future where there were very few women, so the remaining few women were regarded as valuable commodities rather than human beings. And the second one I came across, which was equally impressive, was Blue Ticket by Sophie McIntosh. Ah, you have been raving about this book for a week now. It's a young writer who is supposed to be the new Margaret Atwood, right? Yes, and I know I bent everyone's ear on that. But I thought it was fascinating that science fiction and dystopia, which were originally men's turf, became so turned towards women. When we look at the 20th century, most of the dystopian novels are written by men, and they are written for a male audience. But later, women became not only the subject, but also the well-known authors of dystopia. They also use it as a form of social critique, no? Well, Blue Ticket is certainly a social critique. In an unnamed country, girls are given either a white ticket or a blue ticket on the day that they get their first period. If you get a white ticket, you will be required to get married and have children. If you get a blue ticket, you can have an exciting job, many lovers, everything in fact, except a child. So the system has already decided that you as a woman cannot have it all and allocates you a role. Yes, and I found this moving mainly because the mother versus the others is very much the rhetoric in Turkey and not only in Turkey. So in a way, it did not read like dystopia. It simply took the gruesome reality one step further. This is exactly how I feel about the Netflix series Black Mirror. So many of the themes are actually happening in one way or other. And what is unsettling is that anything that is seen as futuristic in the series is actually technologically possible. Namely, chatbots running artificial intelligence, augmented reality technology, Facebook demos on creating avatars of people, and personality detection services like Crystal. Have you noticed? I haven't even used the word digital. What is not digital nowadays? No need to say it out loud. My favorite in Black Mirror was an episode called Nosedive, where depending on how many likes you have, you get a certain grade. And based on this grade, you can rent a certain car, buy an apartment at a good price, or simply enter a building. Again, very realistic. Even now, if you are an influencer with many followers, you get a whole lot of things for free. Don't you, Nazla? <laughs> oh, of course I do. <laughs> but do you know that the Black Mirror will not have a new season? Its creator has decided that the world is just too bleak for new episodes. Yes, we keep coming to that point. The dystopias are just too close to reality for comfort. One thing that intrigues me, even someone like you, who looked deep into the dystopia, has not come up with any Turkish examples. Can we think of any? I'll sound very bookish now. The general belief is that Turkish literature truly bypasses utopia and its pessimist sister dystopia. 
but literary historians say that this is not true. There was even a utopian movement of intellectuals, which included famous poet Tefik Fikret in the late 19th century. The whole group wanted to move to Australia and live a nature-friendly life. Fikret wrote a poem called The Green Country, based on this utopia. Well, even the Red Apple, which is the epic poem of Ziya Gökalp, is some sort of utopia where the Pan-Turkic world unites in happiness and victory. <laughs> For some, it's a total dystopia. <laughs> yeah. But when we look at literature, we'd be hard-pressed to find dystopia until after the 1980s, and even then, it come out as some sort of criticism of the 1980 military coup. And in my opinion, they were not great. In 1984, Çetin Altan, the, the father of jail journalist and writer Ahmet Altan, exactly, wrote one called Looking at 2027. But his predictions on technology were so outdated that most of the technology would be considered archaic even in 2021. Oh no. <laughs> I think there are several dystopias on environmental disasters. The General of the Wasteland by Oya Baydar, where inequality, poverty and waste caused the underdog to rebel. Yes. And then Oya Baydar followed up with The Night of Children with Dogs, which was another environmental disaster written with the help of Ömer Madra, arguably Turkey's most outspoken environmentalist. We may actually say that Baydar is Turkey's Margaret Atwood. <laughs> yes, and there's also Tahsin Yücel's Skyscraper. This book speaks of a country where everything from roads to the territorial waters are privatized, except one the justice system. But this is also about to be sold to a private company because it blocks plans to develop a part of Istanbul. In that case, I think we should refer our listeners to our previous podcast on justice in Turkey. But I like that book. I think it's an excellent criticism of the present government policies on Istanbul's urbanization. But aren't dystopias mostly political criticism disguised as science fiction? Surely, particularly in countries like Turkey where writers need to be subtle. I have recently read a book of short stories by a young Izmir-based writer called Kerem Ushuk. He speaks of a future society where the whole concept of state revolves around family. Young people who are not married before 30 face heavy taxes, or they are moved to the outskirts of the city. Once you get married, the state wants to ensure that you stay married and have three offsprings. So they assign you a live-in marriage counselor until you get kids. Doesn't that sound like current rhetoric of the government? <laughs> Absolutely. For a second, I thought you were talking about the package of the Family Affairs Ministry and its proposal to prevent divorce. Indeed, the line between dystopia and reality is also very thin nowadays. Now that we have decided that we live in a dystopia for most part, can we help establish a utopia on the moon? Perhaps by going there with the Turkish crew in a year or two? Yes, Erdogan said women could go too. So here is one right we need not fear to lose, even in a dystopian world. Correction, he said misus can go to bayan in Turkish, a term I despise and used for the first time here. I think we'll need a whole episode to explain the political difference between misus and bayan. Yes, something to look forward to. Bye for now. Bye.